brothers and sisters, what good is it if people say they have faith but do nothing to show it? Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? Imagine a brother or sister who is naked and never has enough food to eat. What if one of you said, go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal? What good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs? In the same way, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a few years ago, I was invited to go to a high school career day. And what they asked me to do was come and talk to a bunch of high school students about what it is I do as a pastor and how I set the course to do that. What degrees did it require? What kind of study did it require to become a pastor? I was excited, y'all. Pastors don't get invited out much anymore. We really don't. They don't dust us off nearly enough. And man, it was a public high school, and I was like, whoo, yeah, I'm going to go. This is going to be fantastic. That morning, I find my way through the massive school after parking and checking in, and I sit down around a table they had set out breakfast for us because they wanted to orient us to our day, tell us what we would be doing, and we had a little class schedule, and there were some wonderful students who would escort us through the halls of the school to get to where we were going. And as we were sitting around the table, like I sometimes like to do, I start introducing myself and just kind of asking, what, what do y'all do? What, do? what do you do? What are you here to do? And there was like a lawyer and an account, like a whole accounting firm. They had flown in from like North Carolina. A whole accounting firm. And then there were some people at my table who were in public relations, PR. Some of them worked in like the music industry and they knew like TI and all these people from the Atlanta music scene. And I'm like, oh, that is so cool, y'all. And then I was like, oh, I hope I don't follow them in the classroom. Because if they sit down and talk about all the famous people they know and how this celebrity went on Ellen and this celebrity did that, and then I stand up and I'm like, I'm a pastor, all of the kids are going to shut down. Like, there's no way I can top whatever it is they're going to share. Well, sure enough, I walk into my first classroom, and it's a chemistry classroom. Y'all remember what those look like, the long tables, and the kids are sit seated basically on either side of the room behind these tables, and I'm starting to sweat because something you need to know about me is I was not cool in high school and I'm still not cool. So me going back to high school is like super, super not cool. And all of my anxiety about being in high school is coming up. And I'm like, what am I going to tell them that's interesting? What, what is it about what I do that's really going to wow these kids? Well, I decided maybe the best way to start off was to see what they already knew about what I do and then kind of gauge my talk by that. Like, maybe they want me to talk about missions work. Like, that's fun, like going to other countries and serving people and clean water. Maybe they, maybe they want to hear about, like, studying the Bible and ancient scriptures and Greek and Hebrew. So I just said, what do you know about what it is to be a pastor? Long silence. Student finally raises her hand. Yeah, what do you, what do you know? What do you know about what it is to be a pastor? Well, I know that pastors, y'all are the people who convert people, right? Okay, <laughs> I mean, sort of, but anybody else? Anybody else have an answer? Another hand goes up. Yeah, yeah, what, what is it that you think pastors do? Aren't y'all the people with the poster boards that stand outside of football games and yell at people? 
suddenly I found myself wishing that PR person would come into that room and save me because we had a PR problem, a public relations problem. And part of me could have said, this godless generation, they have no idea what the church is for, but really what I was feeling in that moment was not anger at them for not knowing, but conviction of myself that as a church and as a leader of a church, we weren't doing what we were supposed to be doing for these young people to know what it is we're about. Well, good news, we're about to kick off a sermon series to remedy this PR problem. This morning, we are kicking off a five-week series called This Is How We Do It. And here is what I love about this series that we are entering into. It is insanely practical, insanely practical. You know, oftentimes in the church, we spend time on Jesus' parables, and we get really up here and all this heady, thinky stuff. And then the pastor gets up and says, church is more than an hour on Sunday. And you're like, I'm with you, but what do I do with the rest of my week? Well, this sermon series is to talk about what we do as a church. What does it mean to be a person of faith? How do we live that out? And then how do we as a community of faith live out our faith in the world? And so to kick this off, we are laying the, founder, the foundation, the groundwork, with a letter from the New Testament that is insanely practical. This letter that James wrote it's really short, it's about five chapters, and if you've never read it, just dive in. It will make you feel convicted, so warning. James is not super nice in the letter, but it's insanely practical about what it means to be people of faith. In fact, the overarching theme of this entire letter is that you must be doers of the word and not just hearers. So for James, this whole faith and works thing, it goes together. But this book is so practical, that when Martin Luther, you remember the 1500s, the reformer, the Protestant Reformation, when Martin Luther was looking at all the books of the Bible and deciding like what's in and what's out, he was like, I will not put that in my canon of scripture, my collection of books of the Bible. He actually said that James is a straw epistle. He had no place for this commonality. But I actually love this about James. In fact, when I read the book of James, I like to add a little sarcasm because that's my native language. And I love this piece that we read today because I feel like it uses some sarcasm to call us out. It talks about what we believe is faith, that, that we should believe that Jesus came on earth to help people and to clothe those who are naked and to feed those who are hungry. We talk about this, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago in the Sermon on the Mount. But the writer of James says, what good are you if someone comes up to you and they clearly have a need. They don't have the clothes they need, they're hungry, and you say, blessings on you, <laughs> hope you have a great day, and you smile and you wave and you walk away. How have you changed that person's life? How have you helped them know the love of God when they still have very real bodily needs? What James said is that blessing them is wonderful, but you also have to show up with what they need for them to really, truly, understand what God is about. Your faith has to be mirrored in your actions. In fact, in the section, one verse after what we read today, James goes on to say this. Someone might claim you have faith and I have action, but how can I see your faith apart from your actions? Instead, I'll show you my faith by putting into practice in faithful action. Instead, I will show you my faith by putting it into practice in faithful 
action. You know, it made me think about something <laughs> that I've been thinking of now that summer's almost over and I have to pull back out my pants and some of them don't really fit as well as they should. Diets, right? These things that we do to make us look and feel better. Some of us diet so that the pants will button again. Some of us diet because it makes our bodies feel good. We diet because we believe it's going to do something. But imagine that you had taken on a diet, you would changed your lifestyle, you would cut out sugar or something incredibly hard like that, and nothing physical happened. You had been on a diet for 12 weeks, you hadn't lost a pound, you felt the same, nothing was happening. Would you keep up that diet? <laughs> I'd be on an ice cream sundae so fast, right? Faith is like that too. In order for the transformation to really work, we need to see some results, right? Yes, it's important to accept the grace of God and to believe that we are beloved children of God. But when we do that, something inside of us changes. And the sign that that inside change has happened is how we approach the world. So you can't just sign up for faith and keep living the same life. It, it doesn't really work that way. If faith really changes your life, others should be able to see the results. Here's another crazy thing about faith that's kind of like a diet. You can't get someone else to do it for you. I've tried. It does not work. <laughs> Dalton, would you go on a no-sugar diet so I can lose 10 pounds? No. It doesn't work that way. But so often in faith, we'll say, well, I come to church on Sundays and someone else handles the other stuff. And we think if we let someone else handle the other stuff, their action will work on our faith lives. But it doesn't work like that. Because faith and action, faith and works, belong together. You know, John Wesley talked about it in this way. He had a fancy thing he said. He said, we have works of piety and works of mercy. You heard this before? The works of piety are those things we do to grow closer to God. Prayer sacraments, studying scripture, coming to worship. Those are acts of piety. He said, on the other hand, we have acts of mercy. And he made it really easy for us. Acts of mercy are the things that Jesus did. Clothe the naked, feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, visit the sick and in prison. Be a healing presence in a hurting world, show the love of God. These are all acts of mercy. Anything you do that you saw Jesus doing, in scripture, those are your acts of mercy. But what John Wesley says is these two things are not an either or, but a both and. Because you see, John Wesley was working in the 1700s in England and there had been this industrial revolution and there were people who were getting rich quick, real quick, and there were people who had nothing. And Wesley sat in church day in and day out and he prescribed to the rituals, and he saw those people sitting next to him, and he realized that when they left there, nothing in their life, nothing in their world was changing. The rich were still rich, the poor were still poor, and the church was nowhere to be found. And Wesley said, this isn't, this isn't what I read in Scripture. The book of James says you have to put it into faithful action. And so Wesley gathered a small group of people together, and their job was to hold each other accountable, to study together, to pray together, to do all those things that made them grow close to God. 
And then they went out in the world and they shared that, either through serving other people or inviting people into the movement they were creating, by listening to people's stories, by seeing who wasn't there and whose voices needed to be heard. This is why Wesley didn't find himself in the high cathedrals. He found himself run out of the high cathedrals. But John Wesley found himself in fields and bars because he was convicted that if he had faith, if the grace of God was transforming his life, there was no other way he could live. He had to put it into action. And that's where we find ourselves today as a church. We are people who are called to action. This is how we do it. When our friends say, why do you go to church at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning for an hour, like, you could be at brunch. Hopefully you have an answer that's more than I like to sit in pews. If you like to sit in pews, we need to have a conversation. (laughs) Hopefully you have an answer that reflects the way that faith is formed in this moment, but that goes out into action in all areas of your life. A Methodist church, because we're methodical, we actually have a, a way of thinking about this, a way of thinking about how the ministries work in our lives that put our faith into action. We talk about them in a model we call NOW, which is a great acronym, but what it really means is that there are a bucket of activities that we do in our lives that are nurture. Think of it as things that would nurture yourself or nurture other people. These are things we do, studies, support groups, prayer ministries, ministries that care for one another in difficult situations. Then there are outreach ministries, These are our outward-focused missions, service, evangelism, things that get us outside of the walls of the church. And then there is worship, that thing that we do that reminds us of why we do everything else we do, focuses our attention on God, keeps us grounded in what we believe, nourishes us over and over again. Nurture, outreach, worship. Now, when Eric and I were talking about this series, we were like, man, if you go to your neighbor who does not go to church, and you're like, let me tell you about nurture, outreach, and worship, they're going to be like, nurture's not really a word we use as a category in the world, and so that's not going to translate. And we said, what are we, what's the heart of what we're really trying to tell people? If we say, what do we do as a church? If you come to Shambly first, what is going to happen? How are you going to live out your faith? And Eric brilliantly thought of it this way. Nurture is what we do inward. It's about that inward work of our lives, of our growth, or of the growth and lives of the people who are already here. That's nurture, inward. Outreach is outward then. It's how we go outside and beyond the walls of the church with God's love to invite people to become a part of what is happening, to invite people to know the love of God. Outward focused. And then worship is upward focused. Worship is where we attune ourselves and our lives to something beyond us. Inward, outward, and upward. Now I know that those people who are here this morning are thinking, yes, there is an area of that that sounds exciting to me. You're thinking, I have gifts that lead into one of those areas, and all of us do. Remember 1 Corinthians, we're all the body of Christ in many different parts, individually gifted, working together. All of us have a place we will lead with. Some of us love to teach, teach Bible study, teach children, teach Sunday school. It's natural, we can stand up, we understand how to have a lesson plan, we understand how to get a point across so that other people are nurtured by it. 
Some of us love to go out in mission. We're excited by making a difference in the world with our hands and our feet. Maybe we are really organized and we like to put together an itinerary for a mission trip and we like to schedule flights and housing and how we're getting from here to there. And then there are others of us who could talk to a wall. You know what I'm talking about? They never met a stranger. They can go anywhere in the world. Their ministry is the ministry of reaching out and it's just natural to who they are, right? We all have these different gifts. And this is good and this is how God has created us. But if we're wondering about how we do it as a church, the way that we practice our faith has to be in balance. Remember Wesley, piety, mercy, always together, always balanced. Wesley believed that if this is going to be about our whole lives, it should be holistic. Our faith and our actions should be things that are balanced and constantly pushing us to grow. So that when we know we're good at one thing, we might start thinking about how we can improve in another way. So that when we come together as a church, we don't just do the things that come naturally, we encourage each other to do things that may not really come naturally. Because if we only focus on one piece of these three, our lives become lopsided, right? What happens if you only focus inward? Inward on yourself, inward on the people you already know. You start to become a little isolated, don't you? A little walled off, a little over here, and life is happening out there. What if you're only outwardly focused? You know these people. I, I can tend to be this person. You're pouring it out, you're pouring it out, you're giving, you're serving, you're feeding, you're clothing, and one day you wake up and you have nothing left because you have poured out so much but not taken time to renew yourself to listen for God in your own life? What if we only show up to worship God? What if we only show up to worship God? It's pretty good. It'd be a good place to start. You would hear no complaints from me. But if our lives are only focused upwards, if all we ever do is think about what is beyond, what is to come, what is not yet here, we start to become detached from the world. Because the truth is God is bigger than our world, but God is also at work in our world, right? And when we go to the grocery store and we go shopping, we can meet God there just as we meet God here. And so we have to exercise these muscles in all of these different ways so that we don't become isolated, burnt out, detached. And the way we do this is together in community. John Wesley said, there is no holiness but social holiness. Of course, this wasn't an original idea. This is in Scripture. We do this work together as a church because we need people to invite us to expand our horizons. We need people to say, you know, I saw this gift in you and have you ever thought about? We need people to walk alongside us. And you know, the world needs that too. The world needs to see us doing all of these things. They don't need to just see us at a football game with a sign. <laughs> they need to see us following through on that with our actions. They don't need to hear us just saying, why aren't you in church, why aren't you in church, why aren't you in church? They need to hear us saying, please come and experience the love and grace of God. When we talk about how we do it, it's so connected to why we do it. Faith and works goes together for us 
because God sent God's son to be here, feet on the ground, in the world, working and serving. And if we say that we are followers of that Jesus, the Jesus who came and did and put into practice all of these things, then we have to be practicing it. And here's the good news. If we practice this faith, if we put it into action in real, concrete, tangible ways, that is how the world is changed. It's why the Methodists say that we make disciples for the transformation of the world. Because we really believe if we act out what God has shown us in love, that the world will change. Now, in the coming weeks, we are going to focus on a different area each week. Because, like I said, this is going to be highly practical. So next Sunday, when you come back here, you are going to learn about the nurture ministries of this place. Yes, we're going to talk about why we do these ministries to care for ourselves and care for others. But we're also going to talk about how you can become a part of it here. Because one thing I realize about the church is a lot of times we assume people know what we're doing and how to do it, right? Don't you know how to join a Bible study here? Maybe. (laughs) And so we want to have these concrete, real ways where if you have been saying, I would love to learn more about how to do this, you are going to have the opportunity to learn about it, to sign up for it, to get connected to it. We don't want faith to be a mystery when it comes to action. We don't want you to have to guess about how we do church. We want you to show up here and have everything you need to be successful at being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So this is how we do it. This is how we do church. And I hope in the coming weeks you will think about where your gifts are. What are those things that like excite you and you could just do when you wake up in the morning, you don't even think about it, you're good at it. And then what are those things that maybe you've never tried or you probably should do or you'd love to know more about. I want you to bring all that curiosity for the next four weeks to church to learn about how we can put our faith into action. Before we stand up to sing our final hymn this morning, if you are new, if you are seeking, if you are searching, if you are wondering, what is church about, why do we do it, how do we do it, and is there a place for me? I hope you know that Chambly First is longing to be your home in the city. If you're wondering about membership, if you're pondering things of faith, I hope you'll reach out to myself or Pastor Eric. We would love to walk you through the beauty it is of being a family of faith together here at Chambly Methodist. Now I invite you to stand as you are able as we join our voices together in singing our final hymn, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds.